Hello and welcome to Dismantle Racism, where our goal is to uncover, dismantle, and eradicate racism. We really do want to create a world where racial equity is the norm. I am your host, the Reverend Dr. TLC. Today, we are going to be talking about changing changes in the publishing world. But before we get started, and I let you know about my guest today, I want to invite us just to find our centering place, just find a our breath. So if you can, close your eyes, put your feet on the ground, just center yourself just for a moment, tuning into that which gives you life. Take a moment to connect with divine wisdom and your sacred intelligence, which is that divine part of you that helps you to make intelligent choices. Breathe in, the knowledge that these choices manifest your greatness while helping others to manifest their greatness. As you breathe in and out, remind yourself that you are loved and that you are love itself. Breathe in and out, in and out, just here finding your breath and acknowledging that you are a part of a shared humanity. Carry within you the power to heal and to be a part of the changing status quo. Breathe in and out, acknowledging the power of one contributes to the power of community. Now to take a deep, deep breath in and sigh it out and let's begin our show. So we've talked about racism bleeding into every area of our lives, culture, including academia, medical care. We've talked about it in the workplace on this show. So what about the absence of Black, Indigenous people of color as it relates to the publishing world? Well, today we are going to take a look at that and we're going to really explore a little bit about the voices of BIPOC writers. And so today I'm so delighted to have my guest, Bryna Haynes, here because she is the founder and the CEO of World Changers Media. As, as a nationally known book strategist, speaker, ghostwriter, and editor, she has helped hundreds of thought leaders, teachers, healers, and enlightened entrepreneurs deliver their message and radically up-level their expert status best-selling, excuse me, my voice today, impact-driven books. Titles she claims in her spare time include Self-Reinvention Savient, Lego, Castle Designer, Dragon Tamer, and so much more. So I am going to stop so I can welcome to the show today, Bryna Haynes, and it'll give me a moment to uh, collect myself as well. Bryna, welcome, welcome, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Tara Lynn. It's so great to be here with you. And um, that grounding meditation, I, was, I don't know if you saw me, but I, I'm like eyes closed, leaning into that. And I was actually remembering the first time I heard you use that phrase, manifest your greatness at your event several years ago. Um, and it's been with me since. And it's been um, it's been, you know, playing over and over uh, through my work. And I, I feel like it's um, it's something that, you know, this is this is what we're doing here. Right. And we're mm -hmm. helping everyone to manifest their greatness. Indeed. And if people were to understand that that's what dismantling racism is really all about. And and one of the reasons why, Bryna, I center people before we began the conversation, two reasons. It allows my guests a moment to just center themselves because this topic can be very overwhelming. But also it depends on what we are talking about in the show, what it also does is it allows the listener to be reminded to go back, find your breath. It allows the listener to know that they are also able to dismantle racism because just that topic, dismantling racism, people are like, is it even possible to do that? And what I love about my guests, such as you who are coming on the show, uh, who, who, who really 
take a look at racism and say, what can I do in my corner of the world? And that's really what dismantling is, is about, right? It's not about trying to go out and do everything at one time, but just like little bit by little bit, what can we do? And so I'm so excited because you're going to be talking about uh, dismantling racism from the publisher's perspective. And I want to get your opinion a little bit later on about what that means for you. But Raina, I'd like to start out every show by asking my guest, what is it that grounds you and helps you in this work and the work of dismantling racism in particular, but like what grounds you in general for the work that you do? That's such a great question. I feel like it's a sense of purpose and leaning into the fact that, you know, I may have uh, chosen to come here and however we think about how we enter this life, we all think about it differently, but um, I believe that I, I chose to come here for a purpose, and that purpose is perpetuating the ideas that are going to fundamentally change our world. And so when I when I kind of lean into that, it makes the daily bumps a lot easier to navigate. And it also allows me to be in this very human process of not knowing what I don't know. I didn't, mm-hmm. you know, I didn't arrive knowing everything that I need to know. None of us did. And um and to be grounded in the fact that this is, we're, we're in a process. Mm-hmm. Um, and that really helps with the uncertainty that comes with so many factors of life, you know, being human first and foremost, but also some of the things that we do, like owning a business and being a parent and, and all of that. And, you know, it, it, we, we can only do our best with what we have in front of us. And it's a process piece by piece by piece. Mm-hmm. I love that because what you're really talking about is, and I and I love that you say you chose to come here because that's my same thinking as well. Even though there are days it's like, why did I choose this? But um, but I believe that there is a, a connectedness with all of us. And so when you're talking about your purpose, what I hear you're saying is, how do we connect with one another as human beings? And in order to do this work on dismantling racism is so important for us to be able to say, wait a minute, that's another human being there. That's another soul. And I know from talking to you uh, in terms of just this idea of how we dismantle racism, you've talked a little bit to me in the past about the lens through which you look. So talk to me a little bit about your awakening around the lens through which you look. Oh, absolutely. So, you know, I remember being, uh, you know, a teenager and a 20 something and, you know, being surrounded by people who had internalized racism and didn't understand that they had done that. Um, And I always kind of wondered about it, but I never said anything out loud. And I regret that today. Um, And I always, you know, I, I tried to work through why are why are so many people having different experiences? But I was asking all of those questions through this lens of my own experience as a very much middle class, grew up in the country white girl. Like, you know, oh, but it's easy, you just do this. Oh, but it's easy, you just do that. And it took a while for me to realize that the things that seemed so natural and available to me were definitely not natural and available to everybody in many cases because of racism and institutional biases and just glass ceilings that are just layered over and over and over for certain groups of people. And that was incredibly eye-opening for me because I think, especially as someone who works in the realm of ideas, um, it was very reassuring for me to see myself as objective. And uh, (laughs) we know what a joke that is, right? Like all of us, there is no way as human beings we can ever be objective, no matter how hard we try, because our filter of what is known is always subjective. Um, And so, you know, I had uh, a lot of realizations 
in my my late 20s and early 30s about who I was being and how I was seeing the world. And part of that was this realization that I had internalized racism simply by the fact that I assumed everybody had the same opportunities, the same education, the same um, the same doors opening for them that I did. Mm. And I was incredibly just blind to be. So I, I want to just for a moment, if I could, because I, I, I love teachable moments. And I also want the audience to be uh, knowledgeable in terms of language. So when we talk about internalized racism, I understand that you're using it in a different way in which we usually use it when we're training and, and talking about people of color who have internalized racism, meaning that they have accepted that white is right. And so that's how we use internalized. And so the way in which I hear you using it is that you just, maybe there was an acceptance that this is just the way things are. And so for white people, particularly in the DEI world, when we're training, it's not thought of as white people internalizing racism, okay? So I just want to make that distinction that yes, even though you're accepting that this is the way it is, for for people of color, when it's internalized racism, it's really disliking yourself or liking something about your culture because you think that white is better, right? So it's just a slight difference, and I don't know if, if it's going to us, but uh, but it's just really a slight difference. So that when you say I internalized racism, we might want to find a different, just a little bit of a different way. Thank you. No, I will adjust my language, and this is this is a huge part, I think, of the learning that that I'm doing and that we're all doing right now is that that was not even something that I had ever heard or considered. So thank you. Mm-hmm. I will do better. Yeah. It, it Well, it's actually not a matter of, of, of doing better. I appreciate you saying that, but this is what I love, Bryna, about my conversations with you just in general is that we can have the tough conversations. And that is the whole point that I think that you when we talked about you as a guest being on this show is the deep work that we have to do so that we get it so that we understand, like we have to have people that we can have these conversations with, because if we don't, then we make the full pop, right? We all do say something that we shouldn't say. And then these days they cancel you for just about anything that you say. And sometimes I'm even looking at why are they canceling this person for saying this It's because we don't talk about it enough, right? We don't talk through why something might not be the appropriate thing to say. So I appreciate um, your willingness to have the conversations and just to go deeper. Um, and so, Bryna, we're, we're about to come up to a break, but um, I am appreciating also in what you said is that your awakening was progressive, that it wasn't something that happened in 2020, when everybody began to have this conversation. Now, it might have expanded after 2020, but you began to recognize in your 20s and 30s, like, hey, something's a little off here. So I'd be curious when we come back to hear you talk about what were some of the things that you noticed in terms of the disparities that made you say, well, wait a minute, this isn't just about the people that there are disparities because of the system. So we'll tackle that when we come back. We have to take a really quick break. This is Dismantle Racism. I'm your host, the Reverend Dr. TLC. We'll be right back. Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy. And I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? 
Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. on edge? Hey, we live in challenging, edgy times, so let's lean in. I'm Sandra Bargeman, the host of The Edge of Every Day, which airs each Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. Tune in live with me and my friends and colleagues as we share stories and perspectives about pushing boundaries and exploring our rough edges. That's The Edge of Every Day on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. We are back with Dismantle Racism. My guest today is Bryna Haynes, who is a publisher. And we are we are talking about, well, we will be getting a little bit more into the publishing world, but I think this background that you have helps us to understand how you got to where you are today. So before the break, you talked about being in your 20s and 30s, and you began to notice that things were different for some people, particularly people of color, and that really you started to change the way in which you perhaps judged people for how they were. What are some things that you noticed that helped you to say, well, wait a minute, this isn't about the culture itself, but it's really more about the system? What a great question. So I would say that I started asking questions in, I think I was, I was 30 or it's a, it feels so long ago now, now that I'm 42. Uh, I was 30 or 31 um, when I stepped away from uh, my first marriage uh, to someone who had a lot of amazing qualities, but also had some pretty severe addiction issues. Um, and, you know, as so many of us do, I put my, you know, my lens on that. Like, well, you know, if you if you just try, you could stop this. If you just put X, Y, Z parameters in place, then I wouldn't need to worry if I'm gonna have a hole punched where in the wall where my head used to be, you know? Um, So there was all of this, like, if you only, Mm -hmm. and I learned through the course of that relationship that there is no if you only. Mm -hmm. It is a layered, you know, experience and the resources that I, again, like we talked about before the break that I had at my fingertips, the support, the self-confidence, the, um, you know, for, you know, for lack of a better term, the, um, the desire Mm. to make positive change was simply not there because of past experience. And so when I was able to think again in the aftermath of that, that, um, dissolution of that relationship, I started asking myself, what else was I certain about that I have no bloody idea what I'm talking about? Right? <laughs> and, <laughs> and that was hard for someone who, um, you know, I think that so many of us, um, you know, we, we think about our intellect or our intelligence as being Uh, a very core part of who we are. And we judge ourselves on a sliding scale based on how smart did I appear today? Uh, That was definitely the case for me. Um, And it was a a hard thing to confront because so many things that I had felt certain of Uh, including the way I saw the world, were coming apart because I realized that I didn't know anything about anything Mm -hmm. unless I had experienced it myself. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I was putting my lens on everything. And so 
there was a lot of a lot of um, worldview rearranging for sure. Uh, there was a lot of you know the things that I had grown up with, the very typical middle class pull yourself up by your bootstraps mentality. Um, mm-hmm very, very damaging in all kinds of ways for all kinds of people. Um, You know, looking at that and saying, okay, that was true for me. I could pull myself up by my bootstraps because I had bootstraps and boots and a car and family that would support me if I screwed up, you know, Um, so many things. And, And when I started delving into that and having conversations in particular with friends, um, in people in my world who work in social services, who work in uh, the city schools in Providence in particular, um, and hearing about the daily realities for people of color in particular, uh, undocumented people, um, you know, people who just have different life experiences than the people that I was surrounded with. Now I had a little bit of comfort in saying, what don't I know about what's going on here? Right. And I so appreciate that. And I know that you also do a lot of nonprofit things as well. Now, now that your lens are open up a little bit, bit wider there. And so it's so appreciated. So tell me when you expanded, how did that translate into the publishing world and the questions that you have as a publisher? Well, you know, because ideas are always my focus, what I've started asking is what ideas are we missing out on because the realm of publishing does not see them as accessible or marketable. Mm. And one of the reasons that my company has landed in the fee-for-service space and not the traditional publishing space, although we do use the same practices and quality standards as traditional publishers, is because I don't want to have to vet every idea through the lens of will a big enough segment of the public buy this right now Mm -hmm. and i feel like that is a huge challenge in in every industry really but in publishing in music um this is happening a lot where uh the the viability of an idea is based on how many people will subscribe to it now Mm -hmm. and i think if we had put those types of filters on some of the great ideas that have come out of civilization in the last couple of hundred years, we would still be living in the dark ages. Right. (laughs) So so that we can really kind of think about this as it relates to what happens to a person of color, according with your experience now, Mm -hmm. not necessarily in your company, but what you know about publishers, what is more likely to happen when I walk through the door to a publisher and say, I have this book and I want to get it published? Now, I know that's simple because I know you have to go through a whole big process. But I, I think what I'm really asking you is, is a person of color more likely to be shot down when they're going to a publisher? I wish I had more data on this because my feeling is that it's true. Um, However, I can't speak for all publishers or even all genres. I feel like there's been a big opening of doors in the fiction genre for writers of color over the past several years. It hasn't just been since 2020. There's been a lot of call for different voices and perspectives. I'm a huge like sci-fi fantasy geek, and I've been seeing that in in this realm for a while now, probably uh, 10 years or more because people got really sick of everything looking like the Lord of the Rings, you know, but there, you know, but there was this, this opportunity for different. And and this is what I love about sci-fi fantasy, even though I don't work with that in my publishing company is that there's this opportunity to introduce people to ideas that aren't part of their daily reality and Mm -hmm. have it feel like dragons and magic, you know? And, um, but I know how much, what I read as a kid and a teenager influenced my worldview. And so much of it was progressive because of the ideas that were implanted in the fantasy and sci-fi and, um, you know, and, and fiction books that I was reading. And it's hugely important that those doors stay open for those kinds of ideas. 
My experience in publishing is in nonfiction, particularly in transformational and prescriptive nonfiction. And what I see happening in the broader publishing world is that it's really about celebrity because there are so many people who have great ideas and want to write books that teach um, as a way of kind of sifting things. Now, most traditional publishers are looking for huge audience metrics mm-hmm. and huge audience metrics uh, in my mind translates into giving people what they want to see and hear mm-hmm. not always, but a good portion of the time. And so, um, so what I see there is that if this idea seems easily digestible right now by the general public, it isn't too challenging. It isn't too far out. It's from a voice that people are familiar with. Like, yes, we want that. Mm-hmm. Um, I worry about what that means mm. for our growth as a society. Right. And I'm not saying that this is the case across the board, and I certainly don't want to villain, you know, vilify anyone. Um, but I do see it as a downward spiral mm. because vetting the viability of an idea by its its acceptability by the general public now means that we're never going to grow because growth requires discomfort. It requires challenge. So how do you plan to help your authors, the people of color who come to you and they want to get their ideas out there? Um, how do you plan to help them do that, particularly if it's something that's controversial or uh, you're talking about how they're sometimes put in a certain genre? How do you want to push them out there in the world to make an impact? Well, for me, it's always first and foremost about the idea. So how do we work together to bring the idea to its fullest expression? Um, And I think that the way that that's done is different for every author and every book. But I I want all of of the people who work with me and my team to, to know that they have our fullest support in taking their idea as far as it will go. And even if there are challenging elements to the book, even if there are um, you know, elements which make certain people uncomfortable, that we are good with that. And that our job is not to uh, try to shape the idea to make us comfortable. It's to give the idea the platform it requires to create the change it's intended to create. Mm. And so, I feel like that's it's it's my goal with every book we do, but in particular, working with uh, with authors who are uh, who are black, who are from marginalized communities, who are indigenous, who are, um, you know, in any way offering a viewpoint that's not you know typical white viewpoint. So, Brian, we have to take a break, but when we come back, I want to just. Um, Talk about that just a little bit more, right? Because we talked about this before uh, we actually went on the air. I love that you want to push people out there. And I love that you're saying, we've got to expand this. I want to hear from you. This idea, though, is how you would help your authors who also understand. Like, I understand as a Black person, for instance, that there's sometimes a way that I have to write something in order for a white person to hear it. And I want to just talk about that balancing of that when we come back. How might you help your authors who you're saying, listen, hey, yeah, go out there, talk about it. But we might know, right? I've been living in this body a lot longer than you have. So I know how the world is going to see that. So when we come back, let's just kind of talk a little bit about balancing that because It's great for you to help an author write a book, but then if it doesn't go anywhere, because we're trying to, you know, get our voices out there and if the sales don't happen because of what's being said or how it's being said. So we can talk about the balancing of that in a little bit. We have to take a really quick break. We'll be back with Dismantle Racism. I'm your host, the Reverend Dr. TLC. Howdy, I am Joseph Franklin McElroy, host of 
the new podcast, Gateway to the Smokies. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Tuesday night from 6 p.m. to 7. Every episode is dedicated to memorable experiences in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and surrounding areas. This show features experts and locals who will expound upon the richness of culture, history, and adventure that awaits you in the Smokies. Tune in every Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 7 on talkradio.nyc. about the conversation around racism? Hi, I'm Reverend Dr. TLC, host of the Dismantle Racism Show, which airs every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Join me and my amazing guests as we discuss ways to uncover, dismantle, and eradicate racism. That's Thursdays at 11 o'clock a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a small business trying to navigate the COVID-19 related employment laws? Hello, I'm Eric Sauver, employment law business law attorney and host of the new radio show, Employment Law Today. On my show, we'll have guests to discuss the common employment law challenges business owners are facing during these trying times. Tune in on Tuesday evenings from 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern time on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. We're back with Dismantle Racism. My guest today is Bryna Haynes. Bryna, before the break, I was asking you about this idea of balancing pushing people of color, their voices out into the world versus the other idea of, uh, yes, the voices have to be pushed out there, but the need sometimes to say it in a way where people can hear it and understand it. Because I think that's what publishers do all the time. They change people's voices all the time. So, so who is the person listening? And, and there is some truth to that if you don't change it too, too much. Right. But how do you balance that? Because I believe that there are some things that I understand about the white world based on my experiences that are different from yours. So how do you balance that push and pull you know, with your clients? That is a really great question. So, you know, first and foremost, I think it is important to understand the purpose of a book. And so because I work, again, primarily in transformational nonfiction, the the purpose is always to change someone's mind about something, to, um, you know, to offer information in a way that takes them two or three steps up the ladder that they know they need to climb for one reason or another. Um, And so in terms of voice, though, what's most important to me is that the author feels that it is fully authentic and can stand behind it and own it. And so where I feel like the persuasion happens in a nonfiction book is not necessarily in the voice, it's in the structure of the content. If certain elements and stories and emotional hooks are presented in a certain order, you will have people's interests. Mm -hmm. And I think that, Voice in particular is so personal that, you know, outside of, you know, certain, um, you know, we want to make sure that, you know, the grammar is intact to the point where it doesn't, um, it doesn't interfere with the reading experience, but word choice, very personal to authors, um, you know, uh, the way that certain stories are presented, especially when you're looking at including dialogue, it's very important to have that be authentic. And I think that, again, you know, there are certain things that are are necessary just to kind of, um, you know, we don't want run on sentences. We um, we don't want to to lean into um 
No, I lost my thread there. No, really, that's it. Like we don't want inappropriate sentence structure or right. you know, like run on right. sentences or you know things like that. But that to me isn't voice. That's grammar. Mm. Um, so, so let me see if I can give you. Um, I'm thinking about an example. I know that for me as a person of color, I think about how I show up in the world. And often it's been my experience that white people don't have to think about how they show up in the same way. So I might have to think about when I'm speaking before a certain audience, since you mentioned that word grammar, do I have to make sure that I dot every I, cross every T, make sure that my my tenses are perfectly aligned, that I don't say uh, ain't versus isn't, you know, that sort of thing. If I'm in a more comfortable setting, whether it's it could be interracial uh, as well because I'm I'm there with my friends. If I decide to use a language that's more at home, it's very different. I don't have to code switch as much. Mm-hmm. And I understand based on my experience that when I walk into a room that I have to think about my dress. Now, I don't do this so much anymore because I am who I am. And at this point, you take it or, or leave it. But I also know in the way that I facilitate my classes, though, I do have to think about all of those things. Because I know even on in a class on racism, if you were teaching that class versus me teaching that class, it, it matters to the folks who are viewing. And so that's the kind of thing that I'm talking about, like in the writing of a book. So, for instance, I'm my book will be out soon on dismantling racism. And I actually had other white people who would either say to me, Carolyn, use this language, don't use this language, right? Because they understood what's going to uh, draw people in, what's not going to, right? But I had already thought about lots and lots of ways in which I had to present things long before that. And I also understood that while the book is for people of color and white people, it's primarily for white people. And that's the audience that I had to write to. And so if I were in a situation where somebody who didn't understand how race shows up and who might want me to say things like, no, gentlemen, we got to say X, Y, Z because we're getting this out in the world. It's important to me for the person that I'm working with to also understand how the world sees me as a person of color, right? Do you, did, is it clear? That, that makes sense. And I, and I think, and this is my, my view only from a very personal level is that my, my wish is that someday the way in which you show up is a highly personal choice and personal only to you. Mm. And I hope, Carolyn, that that happens in our lifetimes (laughs) for everyone's sake. And I think that every person that I work with has a, a line internally between this is what I am willing to negotiate that doesn't affect the authenticity of my work. And this is what I am not willing to negotiate. Mm -hmm. And I always want to know what that line is. And Mm -hmm. so if I see a particular sentence and I, you know, if we rephrase this or, or, you know, shorten it in this way and it'll, you know, this might make this land more powerfully for this audience that we've, that we've chosen together as um, as receiving the book, I I wanna I wanna have a conversation about where that line is. Mm. You know, is this something that actually feels like it's taking away from your authentic experience if we make this adjustment? Yeah. And if it is, I don't want to make the adjustment. We'll figure something out. Um, but I I feel like as an editor, that's not a question I always knew to ask. Mm. But you know what I I love about this conversation with you, Bryna, is this, because you work very collaboratively with your authors. And that is not always the case. There are sometimes there, there are people who push, push, push and say, no, this is the way that it should be. And based on their own agenda, mm-hmm. sometimes, because it could be 
they're saying, hey, let's get this message out here. Call it what it is. And so you always have to think about who your audience is. But I want to share something with you, Bryna, because um, I'd love to just delve into this a little bit. So I recently had to pick out my, my book design, and I had a whole conversation with my designer after this. But uh, there were some things that I asked my designer to do, and she gave them. She, she did what I asked her to do and gave me additional ones. So interestingly enough, when I got back the book cover designs, I had about, I don't know, maybe four choices. And instantly, because, you know, you get feedback from your friends, your colleagues. I had white people and uh, and some of the people of color. They, they, there were things that they just said, no, 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 you can't do this. The reason why they were saying that I couldn't do it is because on the particular designs, when we looked, it would have been something questionable in terms of the audience that was reading it and in terms of just thinking about my subject matter. Was I perpetuating what I was saying that I'm trying to do, which was to dismantle racism? And so as I thought about that, they were absolutely right. Absolutely, you know, when I got them back, right about that. And so I then told the designer, I said, you know what, just as an FYI to you, these are some things for you to think about when your clients are asking, whether your clients ask you to do it or not, and when you're designing, because not all of them I had asked her to do. And so I wonder from your perspective, I think sometimes people are afraid to have those conversations about, are you sure that's what you want to do? And this might be how it's perceived by, for instance, in this case, a white person, if you put that particular thing on your book. What do you think interrupts that conversation from a publishing standpoint? I think that when it comes to especially book covers because there's such a fundamental marketing piece you have you have people coming at it from all different places there are the people who are like this is what sells this is what catches people's eyes this is what's gonna you know immediately make them question what is that what Mm -hmm. is that thing that i'm looking at that is drawing me in um and it could be something as simple as like a tiny art element on the cover that, you know, that this the designer is arguing for that is going to make this something different than just a list of words. Right. Or it could be something as as uh, as big as whether to not or not to use the author's photo on the cover. Yes. And, uh, that's a huge one. And so what I see is that most of the time um, when it comes to marketing discussions, we are looking at current norms like this is what we know this you know subset of people are attracted to and will buy that's why like every self-help book looks the same because we know that people who buy self-help buy books that look like this um no thank you i i'm not i'm not necessarily on that train um again i think what i'm most interested in and I get to do this because of the way we've structured our, our work. We're not, um, we're, we're, we're operating in this space where the author is leading the way because they're investing to produce a product as opposed to us taking a chance on the author and needing, needing is really the right word, the book to sell in order to justify our investment, which is how traditional publishing works. So people call it like the venture capital model of publishing, right? And so when you're coming from that place where you have an investment to recoup, you're gonna treat something very differently than this is a piece of content that we are helping someone to produce that they are ultimately going to own. And I love working from that place because then we can have those kinds of discussions. So- um, But what do you think stops, but what what stops, well, I guess we do have to take a quick break, but I'm really, curious because I know that fear shows up for a lot of people and I believe that it stops the conversation therefore it impacts even the business a little bit it impacts the the end result of the book because if 
And I'm not saying in this particular case, for my case, that this happens. But if you are afraid of saying to your author, you know what, I don't think we can put your your picture on the front of the book, you know, or afraid of saying, no, I don't think that that symbol is going to work because it's going to turn off people. But you just do what the person wants you to do or you do your own thing and then not even have the discussion. Because a couple of times this week, I've had some conversations with people who have let things slide in interracial uh, circumstances, environments. They've let them slide. And I'm like, you wouldn't do that if you were talking to another white person. Why did you do it when you talk to this black person? Right? And so it's a matter of, well, afraid, afraid, either afraid to say something wrong or getting into this hype of believing that black people are angry and they're going to respond in a certain way, or I'm uncomfortable talking about race. And and that's my whole point in dismantling racism is that we have to be at a place where we can have the conversations. Otherwise, we're really being inauthentic. But we do have to take a break. So I'm going to ask you just to, to hold your thought there. And we'll be right back with Dismantle Racism. Join us every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Eastern for the Mind Behind Leadership, where we focus on what leadership really means to us and to others. We have practical discussions with the CEOs of some of the world's largest companies, owners of small businesses, and experts in psychology and behavior to get that inside track, what to do, what to avoid, and what really happens. Join me, Graham Dobbin, at the new time, 4 p.m. every Tuesday for the Mind Behind Leadership, here live on talkradio.nyc. Hey everybody, it's Tommy D, the nonprofit sector connector coming at you from my attic. Each week here on talkradio.nyc, I host a program, Philanthropy in Focus. Nonprofits impact us each and every day, and it's my focus to help them amplify their message and tell their story. Listen each week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time until 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on talkradio.nyc. all pet lovers pet avengers assemble on the professionals and animal lovers show we believe the bond between animal lovers is incredibly strong it mirrors that bond between pets and their owners through this program we come together to learn educate and advocate join us live every wednesday at 2 p.m at talkradio.nyc You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. We're back with Dismantle Racism. Oh, Bryna, our time always ends far too quickly, but I would like you to just uh, speak to what I was asking in terms of this fear, perhaps around some publishers, uh, you know, not wanting to engage in this this conversation and so would rather either ignore it or just do their own, own thing altogether, so... Absolutely. Well, I want to be clear that my history in the book world is mostly as an independent ghostwriter and editor. I have helped many clients through a traditional publishing process, but I've never worked internally with a traditional publisher. So I don't want to uh, to make generalizations or accusations that may or may not be true because I don't have that experience. I can only I can only speak to what I see when I go into a bookstore or, um, you know, what I am hearing from people in that world. So I want to be I want to be clear about that. Um, so I wanted to come back, though, to what you were saying about cover design, because I actually had a, a conversation like that with a client, actually, who you referred to me. Um, and I like I, when I when I found out what his work is, I was like, I have been waiting for years to have this conversation. It was so exciting. Um, and we had a very frank discussion about whether um, whether to use a photo on the cover of the book. And I, you know, me in my rah-rah way, I was like, yeah, we totally should. It's going to be amazing. It's going to look so good. 
And I didn't understand at first how much, um, how much discomfort that would bring up. And so we, we talked about it and, um, you know, it's so, again, like you said, so great to be able to have these really open conversations. Mm -hmm. And the question was, you know, whether or not it would impact the book sales if there was a person of color on the cover. And we had, we had a chat about it. And what we came to was, this is a, not just going to be a brand, this is going to be a movement and you are going to be leading it. And so, um, you know, what does that mean in terms of how we position this book from everything from the look of it to who we're telling about it? And, um, and I think that it was, it was, you know, even though I kind of sort of had an idea that that might be a challenge, I, I really didn't understand until we had that conversation, just how much that, that visibility is a challenge for mm-hmm. people of color. And you know what, and this is a perfect example of what I was trying to say earlier with being able to have those conversations where the publisher might be pushing something because you don't you've not had to be in this world of uh, understanding that people don't buy black, right? Because that's the other thing with books. Often people, if they see a black person on the book cover will say, oh, that's for black people. That's not for everybody. Just like a, a movie, that's a black movie. No, it's a, it's a human movie. And so that gets to the point that I was trying to make earlier. There may be things that you don't understand because it's not been your lived experience. Exactly. And I think, you know, step one is the willingness to admit that I don't know. And let's talk about it. And really, my my goal is to create a safe space where that's okay for, for everyone that I work with personally. But what you're saying is absolutely true. And I and you and I talked about this before the show as well, is that I wonder if the publishing industry is perpetuating that dynamic because we are seeing a number of amazing books coming out from authors of color, but they're about the experience of people of color. They're about, um, uh, uh, you know, really speaking into this process of understanding and dismantling racism. And this is amazing and it's necessary and it's perfect. And I also wonder if this is creating a dynamic where that's the only space that voices of color are going to be put in front. A hundred percent agree with you because I want to tell you something. As much as I'm passionate about the work of dismantling racism, I also don't, I have a lot of other expertise too. I mean, I'm a psychologist, I'm a minister and all of that. And so often I'm thinking, don't just call me to do things that are related to race because like a multidimensional and, and that plays in my head sometimes in the sense that, okay, I know I'm passionate about this and it is what I am called to do in this moment, that and healing the wounds of religion because those two things are are in my mind related. And so I'm called to do that work, but just know that if you want an expert on mental health, for instance, if you want an expert on the psychology of manifesting your greatness, I'm an expert in that, right? Because that's what I've spent my life doing. But race, what, what I, what's very important for me to get people to understand, and this is what I like about each guest that comes on the show, race is interwoven into everything. So there's a way to dismantle racism without it being the thing that you're talking about all the time, but just showing up in your part of the world, doing what you do, being racially conscious. And so that's what I like about what you're doing, Brian. You are, you're a great person to have the conversations with. And I'm, I'm going to tell anybody out there, you know, talk, talk with, with Bryna, um about the work that she does and the ways in which she helps you to move forward. Because I believe that you're one of the, the, the great publishers that are out here who are really interested in talking uh, with people about their work. And talking with people about their work in such a way that says, what's the voice that needs to be heard? But you also help them to think about long term. 
Uh, that I know because I do a lot of talking to the person that I, I referred uh, to you. It's like we're, we're going through this process um, together. And I love the ways in which uh, you listen to him as a person of color. And, you know, and of course, I have a little bit of yammering in the background going like, here, put your picture on the front of it. You know, that sort of thing. I probably had a conversation too, but Bryna, of course, we're at the end of our show. And so I want to give you an opportunity if there's a final thing that you'd like to say, and then to also tell us how we can uh, tell our audience how they can get in touch with you. No, oh, thank you so much. I'm just really grateful to have this conversation. And, you know, as we were talking about um, before the show, I think it's important to have these conversations before we feel ready, um, especially as, you know, white people who want to be part of this dismantling effort is we have to be willing to have these conversations before we feel like we have our feet firmly planted under us and what we know and we don't know. Um, so thank you for the opportunity. And I just, I love our conversations, Tarlin. I love spending time with you. Thank you for inviting me to be here. You're welcome. Um, and how can people get in touch with you? Yeah, people can find me at worldchangers.media. And if you'd like to have a conversation about any work, book related or otherwise, um, there's a link to have a conversation with me right on the homepage of the website. So um, I don't do a lot of like freebie downloads and email funnels, like let's have a conversation person to person so I can get to know you and your work. Yes, thank you so much, Bryna. And they can also find the information as well uh, on our website at sacredintelligence.com or talkradio.nyc. Everything is listed there as well. Thank you so much for being on the show today. I'm just so delighted that you came and I'm looking forward to uh, seeing more of authors of color and how you're pushing them out there to make an impact in the world. So thank you so much. Thank, thank you, you so much. Yes, for being here today and listening to the show. I want to invite you to stay tuned for the Conscious Consultant Hour with Sam Leibowitz, where he helps you to walk through life with the greatest of ease and joy. So may today you tap into that sacred part of you that allows you to make choices that manifest your good and the good of those around you. Know that we're all one and exist because we are connected to each other. Make it a priority to share love, hope, compassion, and peace today. Be well, be safe, be encouraged. Bye for now. business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. you on edge? Hey, we live in challenging, edgy times, so let's lean in. I'm Sandra Bargeman, the host of The Edge of Every Day, which airs each Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. Tune in live with me and my friends and colleagues as we share stories and perspectives about pushing boundaries and exploring our rough edges. That's The Edge of Every Day on Mondays at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on talkradio.nyc. informed about menopause and how it impacts on your life? Hi, I'm Pat Duckworth, women's health strategist and host of the Hot Women Rock radio show, empowering women leaders at menopause. Join me every Thursday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. UK Time on talkradio.nyc for interviews with inspirational women who will share their top tips to rock your world. 
the proven world, you may have many unanswered questions regarding your health. Are you looking to live a healthier lifestyle? Do you have a desire to learn more about mental health and enhance your quality of life? Or do you just want to participate in self-understanding and awareness? I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each Thursday, I will tackle these questions and work to enlighten you. Tune in every Thursday at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will be Frank About Health to advocate for all of us. Gateway to the Smokies. It airs on talkradio.nyc every Tuesday night from 6 p.m. to 7. Every episode is dedicated to memorable experiences in the Great Smoky Mountains National Park and surrounding areas. This show features experts and locals who will expound upon the richness of culture, history, and adventure that awaits you in the Smokies. Tune in every Tuesday from 6 p.m. to 7 on talkradio.nyc. Listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. 